You're listening to NFT 365, the first daily podcast on NFTs with your host, Fanzo, talking crypto, blockchain, Web3, non-fungible tokens, metaverse, and what the f*** is a non-fungible token? We'll get to that. It's time for today's episode of NFT 365, the only daily NFT podcast minting an NFT every day for 365 days. Powered by the ADHD coin at rally.io, here's your host and digital futurist, the ADHD superpowered Brian Fenzo. This show is not financial advice, so do your own damn research. What's up, friends? Welcome back to another episode of NFT 365. And I will tell you, I've, I've been getting some amazing feedback. Of course, some of it had to do when we were at VCon, getting to meet so many of you amazing friends and listeners uh, at the event. So many people running up to us and, and just sharing you know, your journey uh, through NFT 365. And, and I hope, you know, uh, for those that are, you know, haven't been able to meet up in person, you know, we're going to be at... Uh, NFT NYC uh, here in the middle of June. Uh, we're also going to put up on our website a full calendar of what our uh, travel plans are. Mine from speaking as a keynote speaker. Uh, so just in case I'm in your area, if you want to come to the event that I'm speaking at, we can make that happen. Uh, but also, you know, for the some of the events that we are planning on attending um, and having a big presence on, it could be meetups, it could be uh, collaborations with some other brands and, and things that we have going on. And you know, I. I think it's such a, you know, it's a powerful thing when I hear not only feedback, but, you know, one of the questions, I think like the icebreaker, I don't, I don't like the word icebreaker, but one of the icebreakers that, uh, you know, I've always kind of looked at as a, a great way to open people up is to not only ask them things about themselves, but to share things in a way that encourages people to share differently. What I mean by that is rather than say, asking someone, you know, like, you know, how are you doing today? Or what are you, what are your thoughts on the event? The way that I like to position that is what inspired you today to do something different than you were going to do yesterday around NFTs and web three. Or I like asking the questions like, you know, what gets you up in the morning and what here at this event is tied to your purpose by being able to like kind of invoke those things. And sometimes I'll do it. You know, when someone comes up to me and asks me how I'm doing, I'm like, I'm actually great. Right now, I am fueled and motivated by educating and amplifying some of the great stories and really the great power of the blockchain and NFTs as a whole. And being at this event, it allows me, and I'll go directly into it. And, I, and I've seen it where people will kind of like come back at me and be like, well, okay. I'm like, what about you? And then all of a sudden, they'll share things in a way that they've never shared things before. And why is this important? Well, I mean, I think we can all agree or attest that storytelling is immensely important, right? We, the old, uh, you know, not old, uh, it's, the, it's the quote by the one and only and great uh, Maya Angelou, right? Where people won't remember what you say, people won't remember what you do, <clears throat> but people will remember how you make them feel, and that's where I wanted to take this episode on that idea of how we make people feel through storytelling as NFT project creators and as NFT collectors. So, you know, one of the things, you know, my background, for those that aren't, you know, truly familiar with where, you know, my background came from, you know, I, 
I went to school to be a, a sports center news anchor. I, I'm a huge sports junkie. Uh, I wanted to be on air talking about sports all day long. I knew I was sh- too short. I'm like five and nine and a half. And any adult male that says the half is just showing that they're insecure because they're not tall. And, and for me, there, you know, for, there was a good while where um, I believed my baseball uh, potential was limited because of my height. Uh, and then my hockey, I was really never uh, talented enough on hockey, but I played through, you know, co- four years of college and uh, on hockey. But, you know, for me, I ended up falling into business information systems was my major um, in school. And it was because I left kind of media studies, uh, journalism, because of the, the grammar requirements, English requirements, the reading requirements that at the time I just thought I couldn't accomplish. I didn't realize because of my neurodiversity, that kind of shows up there. And I switched to a computer science major. And I realized, oh my gosh, this is not what I want to do. But these are my people that are here. And I will say like, you know, being exposed to database and, uh, you know, ADA and C++ and uh, a lot of the things that I studied in college that really never helped me, quote unquote, helped me um, in the real world, kind of exposed me to that side of the world, from developers to coders, um, to understand really some of the nuances that exist in that space. And then I you know, went in, uh, you know, to a business information systems. And I will tell you, the information system side was what I loved more so than the business side. And then getting out of college, you know, struggling to get an you know, initial job and took a help desk job. Uh, at a data center company that would give me my security clearance. So I was able to get a, a secret security clearance and worked a the 6 a.m. to 3 p.m. shift uh, on a on a computer on a help desk supporting the U.S. military. And you know, as the story goes, about six months into that job, uh, I happened to raise my hand when someone said uh, came in that morning. Our boss came in and said, "Who here can be in, can leave for Korea tomorrow to teach our class?" Uh, on Monday. And I happened to have my hand up first. And he asked me, you know, uh, shout out to Joel. I think Joel might actually be one of our listeners as well. Joel was my my first boss. And uh, he's like, Brian, have you been to Korea before? I was like, no. He's like, do you have a passport? I was like, no, but I've been to the Caribbean. You know, I've been, <laughs> I've been uh, on a cruise ship. And he's like, well, we're gonna have to get one, get you a same day passport. And we're gonna have to um, get you set up. And I will tell you, you know, I went there on that trip mainly because I wanted to go to Korea and I wanted, you know, I was like, okay, I wanted to travel. I loved, I thought the idea of, of traveling for a living would be amazing. And I'll tell you the craziest part is that trip till COVID started a wild ride for me. So 2004, um, all the way until 2020, 16 years, you know, I traveled 35 plus weeks a year from that day on, from the day I raised my hand. Right. And I didn't realize it at, you know, 23 years old, I, I think I was at the time, um, that raising my hand to say, yeah, I can go to Korea. Now, I wasn't prepared to teach that course. Um, I, I remember studying and really working hard on that 13 hour plane ride from, from Atlanta to uh, Seoul, Korea. And then I had to figure out how to get on a high speed train for the first time. And I took a, a, a two and a half hour high speed train south to Daegu. And, I remember for me, I never once wavered in my ability to deliver that material or that content because in the craziest way, I knew I was a great storyteller. I knew, and the reason I knew that is growing up, my dad, uh, who is the greatest storyteller I've ever met, who can paint a picture and tell a story with strangers in ways that I've never imagined, 
but I've known for many years that like part of my strength and sometimes it was getting out of trouble. If I had gotten in trouble and other friends had gotten in trouble, my ability to tell the story from my point of view or to relate my story to who was listening would oftentimes get me out of trouble. And people would be like, oh, why'd you get, why did he get special treatment and not me? And, and I, I'll just say that that aspect of storytelling, you know, it got me, it got me you know, out of trouble when I was young. It allowed me to embrace you know, change, bet on myself. Right? I, was, I, I really, you know, if I look at my, my career path, betting on myself is really the, probably the only constant. Right? I've, I've had such a crazy ca- career from a, a top secret uh, SCI with poly uh, you know, security clearance at the U.S. government and cybersecurity uh, to a technology evangelist at a data center company to getting awarded the top 25 social business influencers of the future by The Economist uh, to kind of growing a, an agency and then deciding I didn't want to do agency style work to then, you know, the last seven years being a full time you know, keynote speaker and podcaster and content creator and influencer and been able to work on, you know, um, with amazing brands and speak in front of 20,000, 30,000 people on stages. And the, the, the interesting part about that for me is that the, I think the reason that I, that's not, I, I think I know the reason I love storytelling is that every time you tell a story, every single time you tell a story, it could be the same exact story. We all have an uncle or a dad or a brother or a sister or mom that tell the same story over and over again. But that story is never once the same, right? Because the variables in the room are changed, who they're talking to has changed, who they are as a person. As they get older, there's certain parts of a story that that matter more or they remember more, they matter more to them in that story. Now you might be wondering, what does this all have to do with this NFT space in this world we're in today? You know, there's a lot of conversation, you know, being at VCon you know, Gary V talked, you know, at the opening session, he said he's been getting a lot of hate by his comment that he said that he believed 99% of all NFT projects would fail. Now, I didn't like the comment when I first heard it, but I, I've known for a long while that if you take what Gary Vaynerchuk says without context, you will end up doing things that don't make any sense and you'll end up misreading where Gary was, was intending. And I think, you know, the part of this that's important is, is like, hey, be careful, pump the brakes and recognize that just because just because you can launch an NFT project, just because you can sell out an NFT project, just can you because you can raise the floor price for three months of an NFT project does not mean that NFT project will be successful in the long run, does not mean that it will be a blue chip, does not mean that it has potential to change the world. There is so much more involved, everything from a business plan to crisis management to comms to PR to marketing to having a budget to be able to ride out these bull, you know, these these really tough markets and then also, you know, be able to understand when we're kind of flipping the script how not to overcalculate, right? How not to go too fast or or go in too sporadic of ways. But I will say one of the things that I also love about storytelling is that studying it is, I like studying storytelling mechanics, storytelling methodology, storytelling, um, you, know, you know, varieties of storytelling more so than I like pretty much anything else in life, probably more so than sports because sports is great at storytelling, right? It's great. Like anyone who's watched, 
you know, the background of any of these, uh, you know, events or, you know, the, the Olympics, they always tell the story of the Olympian, right. That was, was cut from their baseball team or that was, um, injured in a car accident and they, they persevered through. Well, why is that right? It's because we not only connect and relate with that, but it's what we remember. And it's ultimately the things that we share. And so over the last many months, one of the things that I've been doing a lot is I've been studying how others, and this is, this is the key I want you to, to think about this within this podcast. I've been studying how others in my circle talk about their favorite NFTs. How do they tell the story of the NFTs that they love the most? Now, the reason that I like st- studying this part is because I firmly believe in word of mouth mar- marketing. I believe word of mouth marketing is the oldest marketing since the beginning of time. I believe it's the one that not only will we see as vital in this Web3 world, but it's to me the ultimate vehicle for trust building, scaling, uh, community uh, amplification. And what I mean by that is, you know, it's easy for a NFT project or a brand to believe they're great at telling a story. But how great it are you at connecting that story to your audience, but even more so, making that story consumable and relatable enough so that they can pass that story on to their friends and tell that story um, even further than that. Now, I'll tell you, I was just looking over my shoulder uh, for one of the books that I recently read, and I don't know where that book is. Uh, it must not be up there. Um, so I, and I say read, I, I listen to the audio book. But one of the things that when it comes down to word of mouth storytelling is not only is it important and vital for the story to have a finite beginning, a middle and an end, but it's also essential that the story adapts so that the, when you're to whoever you're telling it to, you lean into what matters most to them. I actually think this is where most NFT projects go wrong. I, you know, I'm a big fan of a lot of projects, right? The Playboy Rabbitars is one that I'm a big fan of. I love their storytelling within their project. Like they have a storytelling uh, st- tell a story, a whole story built around the Rabbitar and how it comes, you know, it's in this new, uh, you know, metaverse world and and all of the different variables coming in. But the problem with the Playboy story is that they have that story for those that are inside the walled garden, but they didn't make it very easy to tell the story of why is Playboy in the NFT business? Why are Rabbitars the NFTs that they went with? What is the future? And, and, and I'm not going to pick on, not picking on Playboy because I'm a holder. I'm a big believer um, in what they've done. I think they've, they have some adapting to do with some recent changes that they've made. But what I've noticed is I, I, I mean, I was doing this a lot over the last week, right? I would, I would be like, oh, what is your favorite NFT project that you hold? Now, it's a funny question when you ask people because when you ask DGENs, more often than not, a DGEN is going to say whichever one they believe is worth the most or that will impress others the most. But when you ask somebody that is all in and believes in Web3 beyond the DGEN mentality, right? And I, and I, I consider myself 
a degen in a lot of my uh, actions. And I mean, trust me, I, w- I was in the, uh, in the airport the other night. It was late at night, 11 o'clock. And I'm, uh, you know, I'm buying an NFT via my iPhone because I didn't want to wait until I, I got home. So I'm, I'm all in there. But if you, if you think about it, if someone that has, let's say, five to 10 NFTs in their bag, and I asked them, like, what NFT are you most proud of holding? What I find interesting is, do they start off by sharing that one NFT that jumps to their mind? Do they caveat it first? And, might, and, I've, heard, and I've heard this many times where people are like, well, you know, I have a mutant ape. But I would say the thing I'm most proud of holding is, right? Now, when I, when I listen to that, as someone that loves the storytelling art, the reason that they're saying that, hey, I have a mutant, is it's to validate or, or to confirm like, hey, I'm no pushover or I have a very expensive NFT, but the one I'm going to tell you about might not impress you from a floor price, but it's going to be the one that I love the most. Now, the reason that I think this is such an important like, aspect of, of the NFT success metrics is that it, it is not only vital for us as holders of NFTs, right? If we are the owners I believe we have to take on ownership responsibility, right? We should own the marketing and sales. We should own the word of mouth, right? We should be telling our friends, our family. We should be sharing. If you are a content creator, uh, it could be a blog post, an email newsletter. If you believe in an NFT project and, and you are an owner, which means you hold one of the NFTs, why aren't you mentioning that NFT project in your email newsletter? Well, it might be because you know that your audience that you're writing to might not understand NFTs. Or it might be because you don't know how to connect that NFT to being valuable for your audience. And both of them are understandable. I will say this. Just because your audience doesn't know of NFTs doesn't mean today isn't a great time to start putting that like vernacular, putting that information in front of them, right? I know for a lot of my audience that NFTs still are overwhelming. They, they're still confused. Even those that have followed me for 10 years, they're still confused why Brian, why I am in NFTs, right? Like my speaking business was on a rocket ship. You know, I was talking a lot about, you know, putting your story out there, the war, world, press the damn button, talking about thinking like a fan, putting yourself in the shoes of your fans. I, um, one of my most popular keynotes during the, the pandemic was about having a futurist mindset and the importance of us changing our mindset from a technology mindset to a futurist mindset, which really understands both the technology and humanity and also listens for where we are going, but understands the importance of where we're operating today. But I say all of that because we do have to put the NFTs out there, but it's also a great way for us to start understanding what our audience you know, what they what their current baseline of information is, right? I tweeted this out the other day. I said, you know, I was sitting at VCon on day one. I said, I think I like geeking out with others in the NFT space, maybe more so than I like people watching, you know, with strangers in a lobby. Like, I love people watching. I don't know about you that are listening. Like, when I go to the airport, you'll always see me in the chairs that are facing outward because I'm just so entertained by the human uh, psychology, just the human dynamic. I love, like, you know, looking at what people are wearing, understanding body language. Wow, they're holding hands. Wow, they're not holding hands. I wonder if they're married. I wonder if they just met. I wonder if they're having an affair. I wonder where they're going. I love that component of life. I just love, you know, people watching as a whole. But part of the reason I loved geeking out about NFTs on that day was that each person I asked the questions about, like, what are, what are you most proud of in your 
NFT bag. Everyone came at it for such an interesting and, and dynamic or different or unique approach. And then I also mentioned things about VFriends, right? And I said, well, you know, why are you in VFriends? Like, what, what about VFriends do you love the most? And I will tell you, Gary, Gary has a massive advantage, right? Because a lot of people would say things like, I'm just here, I'm supporting Gary and anything Gary's doing. And just the fact that I could, I could be along on this journey and I could have a piece of his success and attend three of his events, I'm all in. Of course, not all projects have that. And so I would often, I like to like double down, like, oh, are you active um, in the Discord? And, and sometimes, most of the time people are like, no, that Discord's a little overwhelming to me. Or they would say what I hear a lot. We're like, I actually, I don't, I don't like Discord. I, I, I hate Discord. And so one of the things that I started to like, kind of like break down and better understand is the reason that we often default to a project that we might say is our favorite or the one we love the most is it's more often than not the one we can tell the story of most because we know that if we just say that we like this, you know, a certain NFT and we don't have a story for why it's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to fall on deaf ears. It's not going to, it's not going to connect. People are going to be like, wait, really? That's why you do that? Or we might get a question back and says, okay, it's great. Like you have access to that person and I know why you bought that NFT, but like, why is it worth $1,400? And so I find it really interesting because here's the problem. I believe for many of us, there are a lot of NFTs that we hold that we don't even know why we hold them, or maybe we know why we bought them, but we don't know how to to tell the story of the NFT project so others understand why we bought them and maybe why it should be good for them. So here's here's what I'm going to kind of put out there. When we think about, you know, telling a great story, I believe it starts really with relatability in the audience, right? So if I'm telling the podcast audience a story, I know that most of you know that I've been doing this podcast every single day for since November 11th. I know most of you know that I'm a girl dad of three little girls. I know most of you know I'm a proud Pittsburgh Steeler, Pittsburgh sports fan, born and raised um, in Pittsburgh. I know most of you know that I have ADHD and I identify as neurodiverse with dyslexia. I know most of you know that I am a keynote speaker. And the reason I put that all out there is because when you have a baseline of understanding of who you're talking to, you can now build on whatever story you want to share on top of that baseline. The problem is if you don't have a baseline, right? And, and that happens to me a lot. I think it's actually why public speaking scares so many people, right? People are scared about being judged and not knowing what's being said as a speaker, but we're often also scared because we don't know like, what does the audience know? Are there people in their audience that are smarter than us? More often than not, yes. Uh, is the audience going to judge me on what I say? More often than not, yes. Is the audience going to pick apart little things that I say because they want to validate themselves? More often than not, yes. But that aspect of, like, not knowing a baseline when you're telling a story can be a little bit scary. And so where I wanted to kind of, like, you know, kind of want us all to kind of look at this is when you're buying an NFT – not only is it vital to say like, okay, I love this utility. I love, I love this. I, like, I appreciate their roadmap. I trust their founder. But one of, the, one of the criteria that we should be evaluating this on as well is I'm confident I can tell the story of this NFT project in a way that relates with my audience. Why is that important? Because let's face it, the, the beauty of this NFT space is that there are 10,000 individual owners and there's not just one way to do anything. But when, someone, when times are tough, 
and things are down or a project is through crisis management. It's the stories that we tell that we tell ourselves as well as well as we tell others that ultimately are the difference between us wanting to give us uh, wanting to give up versus us wanting to like stand up and be triumphant. And I will tell you the part of this that, that really matters the most to me, or I'd say uh, really connected uh, really well for me was that at, you know, at these last two events and, and Drew highlighted this, you know, we had people running up to us and be like, Brian, Hey, I, I love your podcast. I love what you're doing. You know, I'm the founder of witchy GF. I'm the founder of whatever this may be. And if their project was in our bag for Mint 365, here's the funny part. Not only did I know their project, did I, not only did I know the month that they minted, but I knew what their story was about their project. I couldn't often tell you the utility. I couldn't tell you the roadmap. I probably couldn't even tell you the name of the founder. But the projects that we've been minting and including in our, in our Mint 365 project, right? Buying an NFT every single day for a year. The story of them have stuck with me. So as crazy as it sounds, I bought an NFT for 190 plus days in a row. If you came up to me and said, hey, are you aware of this project? And if I minted that project in our collection, not only will I say I'm aware of it, I'll report back or repeat back the story of it and the story of why we bought it, why I think it's a great fit for our, our Mint 365. And you know what's funny? I take, I take more pride in that my, my, my dedication and my focus, right? Like, I mean, I've said this a lot, right? I didn't realize how hard it was going to be to buy an NFT every single day. And then I had someone at, at, at the bar the one night this past week say, well, it's not really that hard unless you care about what you're buying. And I realized in that moment that I hadn't done a great job of telling the story of Mint 365. Because if you understood the story of Mint 365. The idea that I didn't want to create a podcast that just served the 1% or required people to put money up to come on this journey. And I love the idea of having a holder mindset or a hodl mindset because I'm that's I'm a, I'm a collector. I'm a and sometimes I'm a, I'm a, her, a, a hoarder in uh, collecting, you know, I I collect Wheaties boxes from the 90s, right? Like and I loved what people had done as far as creating a mosaic and a time capsule of all of that art, all of those things that had happened. And so when I created Mint 365, you're damn right I care about what we're minting. I mean, three or four hours, I'm spending a day researching these NFT projects so that we can narrow it down and select hopefully the best one on that day to mint. And for me, it was a good like look in the mirror and say, you know what? I need to be better at telling the story of Mint 365 because you know what I also need to do is I need to make it easy for all of you that are listening to this to tell that story. So I, I say all of this because I'm not, on, I'm not on the mountaintop of great storytellers talking down to you. I actually think the beauty of the other aspect of storytelling that's most beautiful is that you can never get it 100% right or perfect because the best time you tell the story, you have to, the next time you tell it, you still have to go back to the drawing board because the variables have changed. And what I mean by variables have changed, I could tell a story about me getting, you know, um, me leaving the U.S. government and, and starting my job as a technology evangelist. I can tell that on stage. I can tell that here on the podcast. I can tell that at a dinner with friends. And I can guarantee you 
the things that I use within that story to relate and be memorable within the story are different on all three times. Not just because the medium is changing, but because my relationship to the audience is changing. My ability to read nonverbal cues and, and get instant feedback has changed, right? I mean, I'm at my best. I tell the greatest stories, I believe, myself when I am standing around others and we're maybe t- talking in a big circle of people or maybe we're doing it within a mastermind group where it's a small, intimate setting. Because I think one of my, my strongest skill sets is reading people, reading people's body language, understanding how to create a baseline of understanding of, of what people are, how they're feeling, and then judging how they react from that um, based on what I say, right? Based on what I say, how they react, I'm now able to tell if I need to adapt my story, change things, how, you know, where these things go. Now, with all that being said, I'm going to give you a little trick. I'm going to give you a little tip here at the end as we close this out. Most people will say, Brian, I don't know how you do it. You get on Twitter spaces. Uh, you tell people they can ask you questions. Someone asks you a question, and you immediately jump into a story. Like, you have those stories. Like You practice those stories. You have all those stories ready. I'm going to give you my secret on that part. You know, as a keynote speaker, you know, I usually incorporate, like if I have a 45-minute presentation, which is what most often or not I have as a presentation, what I try is I try to include three stories in that 45 minutes. Now, the beauty of these three stories is that they are going to be building on the data that I'm also sharing and the things that I want to make sure people walk away with. But for each one of those stories, I have a different length of the story depending on when I'm sharing it and what the body language of the audience is actually telling me. Now, this isn't for you to be a keynote speaker, but this is for you to be a better storyteller or improve your storytelling uh, techniques in everything you do every day. And I I believe being a great storyteller makes you a better spouse, makes you a better parent, makes you a better son or daughter or sibling, because we so much is often lost in the, the lack of context or the lack of story when we're delivering either good news, bad news, or we're sharing something that we want people to um, listen to, right? I think I, in, in many cases, the reason people aren't listening is not because they don't care about you, but it's because you're not connecting that story to them. And so here's the secret. For every single story that I prepare to tell online, first I practice it, of course, on like live video or on Twitter spaces, but here's what I do. Every single story, every story has a five-minute version a three-minute version, and a one-minute version. Now, I know what you're saying. Brian, there's no way any story you have has a one-minute version. Well, there is. And I wouldn't say it's like one minute as like a 60-second, but it's like a get-to-the-point story. And the reason I think these are so important is when you practice telling stories at these increments, you are able to be able to adapt within your answering of questions to pull which one of those stories is right at the right time. Right? If I'm hosting a Twitter space and someone asks a question, I almost always go to the five-minute story right? because I have the microphone, I created the room, and I want to be able to add all of the context to the story. But if I'm getting pulled up on stage on Twitter spaces or someone's bringing me into a networking circle and they, hey, Brian, tell, me the, tell everybody about what you're doing with, with NFT 365 and Mint 365, The story I'm going to go there is that middle story, that three-minute story at that point, right? Because I'm not going to give all the context because if they need all that context in that arena, they have the ability to ask me questions. But I'm also not going to do the one-minute one because I want to make sure that people get the value and and, and like this passion that I'm working on. 
And then oftentimes the one minute story comes in when I understand that I don't really understand the audience, but I'm going to test something, right? So I will mention something in passing or I will give the one minute version of it. And if I see or I hear that person all of a sudden connected with that one minute story, well, now I can add the five minute story as a follow up to when they're asking questions or that they're relating. So this is something you want to, and it takes practice. And it's not just about, you don't have to wait till you get on a stage, but like think about one of the stories that you are going, that you tell, right? And it could be the story of why you bought your last NFT. Could be the story of why you bought your first NFT. Could be the story of the worst NFT experience you've ever had. The next time someone asks you about that, think about it. Am I going to tell the long story, the medium story, or the short story? And think about what are the things that are essentially included in that medium story and that short story, right? What are those, those key uh, points? Because I believe great NFT projects as we move forward are going to get better and not only telling their story, but on helping you, the NFT owner, tell the story of the NFTs that you hold. You'll notice the projects that I mention all the time on this podcast. Yes, they might be some of my favorite people, but they're also ones that I can tell the story of so easily. From meta whips to Playboy Rabbitars to Crypto Dads to uh, Lazy Lions to, I mean, we could, we could go Crypto Chicks to Women and Weapons. I can tell the story of that project, of that founder, of that artist. I can tell the story of when I minted it and how I got involved and what was the first time I was exposed to that. I bet you, if you were honest about what right, right now, if you looked and said, what is your favorite NFT that you currently hold? My guess is the one that is your favorite. If you were being honest with yourself, is the one that you can tell the most story around it. And to me, that's where the magic lies. That's where we have yet to really expand upon. And hopefully in the very near future, I'm going to put into practice for all of you here so that we can all embrace and become superpowered in everything that we're doing and recognize that we all have a superpower within. Until tomorrow, my friends. Oh, actually not until tomorrow, my friends. I got to drop a pop for you. I almost forgot the pop again. And my poor buddy, uh, my, my, our, our head of uh, you know, design and production, he would have really been, because I was supposed to drop this the other day. So for those that have been hanging around, uh, I apologize it's taken so long. Today's pop proof of podcast is beat like to the beat, you know, uh, matching to the beat, B-E-A-T. So jump over to nft365podcast.com slash pop, and you can fill that in. And remember, if you get four of them right for the month, uh, this is our third for this month, um, you will become a pop star, and you will get an NFT airdropped to you via Rally. And then if you hold two of them, we have some really cool things coming to you very, very, very soon. And uh, I will also just leave you with a little bit of alpha. This is an important week for announcements. And just to let you know, the announce, couple of the announcements coming this week will only be shared on the podcast in audio form. Will not be shared in the Discord, will not be shared anywhere else. And the last thing I want to share is I'm excited tomorrow we'll be announcing that we have a 
uh, SMS, a text message system that you can sign up for. So you can be aware of some of our announcements, some of the things that we have coming along. We're going to allow you to pick and choose how many messages you want a week. If you just want like, hey, I only want the most important messages, you can sign up for that. If you're like, hey, I only want to hear about the podcast, you can sign up for that. Or you can say, hey, I want to hear about the ADHD coin, the podcast, the Discord. Um, you can sign up for those type of messages as well. So, so many great things happening this week. But yes, audio first format is what matters to me. And I'll be dropping some amazing alpha, some, some tips, some tricks, and some information here for you that are listeners. But until tomorrow, my friends, make it a great day. Cheers. This show is not financial.